and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Joel Jameson. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Joel onto the show. So, Joel, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I think it's my first time. It's always good to talk to new people. Absolutely. So, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a long story. I'm a strength conditioning coach uh, by nature. I started in the field back in the late 90s, early 2000s at the University of Washington and spent a short time the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL. Um, opened a gym back in 2003, and little did I know if I opened my gym next to an MMA gym that happened to be the best MMA gym in the world. So I was quickly immersed into the world of combat sports and conditioning. And uh, as the sport grew and got more popular, I started writing about the things I've been doing with the athletes and, and got some attention just because there was there was a, a big need for conditioning for the combat sports and very little people out there, very few people have been writing a lot about it. Um, so that's been a big part of my journey. And then the other thing is I, I was introduced to heart rate variability uh, very early on, back around 2000. So I used that for majority of my career and I realized there was a, a need for that sort of technology to be more prevalent and accessible and so I developed some technology around that in 2011 I launched a, an app called BioForce HRV which is an early one of the earlier HRV systems out there and then a new one called Morpheus a few years ago so my, my journey over the last you know 20-ish years in coaching has been a combination of uh, you know energy systems conditioning combat sports technology recovery HRV kind of a, a big mix and I've been fortunate to work with a lot of athletes from different sports, you know, from world champions in combat sports to, you know, guys in the NFL, NBA, uh, consulted with a lot of different organizations from Lifetime Fitness to Gold's Fitness, Equinox, some of the bigger brands out there. And then I spend a lot of time just working with everyday coaches and everyday uh, people looking to improve their conditioning, looking to become better coaches and uh, kind of everything in between. So it's been a, been a lot of different things I've been able to do in the last 20 years and uh, certainly enjoy every moment of it. Absolutely fantastic. So we've got the perfect person to discuss conditioning today, which I'm really happy about. So first things first, uh, why is it important to train conditioning outside of the sport itself? Look, I think it's, it's just important to understand there's a lot of different building blocks that go into performance. And I, I kind of break up how we talk about performance for sports in a few different categories. The first one is skill. Obviously, skill at the end of days is always the most important. I think we need to recognize that as conditioning coaches that the athlete's skill is the priority, um, and then there's their technical ability to utilize that skill within the framework of a competition. That's you know that's strategy and tactics. So both of those things are elements that most strength coaches aren't going to touch. But to me, it's their fitness and their conditioning that gives them the energy and gives them the ability to go out and use that skill and to perform those strategies and have uh, you know successful application of that. So to me, Conditioning is the application of fitness, and if you don't have those qualities, then you're going to fatigue. You're not going to be able to perform your skills to the best of your ability and potential. So we actually am outside the sport just because the sport is not always the, the ideal place to develop the different building blocks of 
conditioning. There's there's more than just one piece of conditioning. There's multiple components, and the skill, the sport itself, is not always the the best way to develop all that. It's the same thing. Well, why do we train strength outside the sport? Why don't we just use the sport? So, we, we want to develop other areas uh, outside that are not overloaded in the sport as as effectively as they could be. And you also just you know if you if you do nothing but play your sport twelve months out of the year, four or five six days a week, chances of of overload injury and, and burnout are extremely high. So. You know, most sports aren't training the entire sport 12 months out of the year at such a high volume. So I think there's, there's multiple reasons for it. Uh, just to develop all those qualities I talked about and to do it in a less specific way, just uh, just a bigger piece of the puzzle. Absolutely ideal. So when, when you mentioned there's lots of different um, things that we can train as such, so lots of different energy systems, uh, what are the key ones which you're going to look at when you're looking at uh, working with athletes? So it's going to depend on the sport, right? The biggest thing we want to understand is that each sport is its own challenge. It's like a puzzle, basically. It's a it's a game you have to figure out how to win. And in order to do that, you have to figure out what are the qualities that separate the successful athletes in that sport from the ones that are less successful in that sport. And so that means looking at the balance between the, the two anaerobic and aerobic systems. It means looking at different movement patterns and efficiencies. It means looking at their different mental performance abilities and how they cope with stress. And you kind of build this picture, this model of you know how successful athletes in that sport navigate that sport. And so then when you have other athletes you work with, you kind of compare them against that model. And that's really how I was was approaching the conditioning of, for combat sports very early on because I didn't really know a lot about combat sports. And I um, kind of made some really big mistakes early on until I started training the sport myself and started to have a much better appreciation for what the demands were. Um, and then once I did that, I started just realiz- realizing I needed to have some data on some of these guys and need to measure their capabilities and i started just kind of evaluating them at all kinds of physical qualities and then from that you know a picture emerged of what the really successful highly conditioned combat sport athletes looked like and i understood what their um, what their special talents were what they were really good at physically and physiologically and then it was much easier to understand when someone new came in the fold where they were lacking relative to that so you have to build a model for any sport and energy systems are a prime part of that model because you know, energy is what's driving muscular function. It's what's driving them to use their skills. And if they don't have the capabilities of doing that, then, you know, all those skill in the world is not going to do much for them. So, it, like really said, it, it, the bottom line is just it depends on sport, but building the model of success is really the place to start. And then when you when you then start to build your model, you've, you've got your, your energy systems and how much you then uh, might need of each one, for example, or uh, mm-hmm. maybe uh, you've got the, um, a model of uh, an elite athlete who already has a certain composition. Um, how are you then going to go about targeting those energy systems? Where, what happens when you, when you have your model and then you need to put that into practice? So we can give some examples. Like let's, let's say we, we look at a combat athlete. Uh, a combat athlete just kind of, you know, in my wheelhouse, so I'll Use them, but they, you know they're a, a, a hell, you know, a good aerobically driven athlete because they have to be. You can't go three to five rounds without a very well developed aerobic system. And the successful ones that I've trained over the years, they usually have resting heart rates somewhere in the upper 40s to low 50s, you know, sometimes mid 50s. Uh, they typically have heart rate recovery between rounds of heavy intensity uh, work of 40, 50 beats per minute. And, you know, at least they typically have HRV in the 80s and my own system. So. I have a model there of what is a highly developed aerobic system requirement, at least for those athletes. The anaerobic side, you know, they, they have to have enough strength and power to be explosive, to be able to uh, throw punches and kicks and strikes effectively. They have to be able to have enough strength to, to have the body weight grappling side against their components. So we have measures essentially of both those things. And I'm going to basically pick where I think is the weak link, right? I'm going to try to 
minimize their weaknesses to maximize their strengths. And if I get an athlete, let's say, you know, the, the common one for conditioning side is, you know, their, their aerobic system is, is not as well developed as it should be. And then, and then I'm going to say, okay, well, the, the way to improve this, this athlete's performance is to fix that. And so even from there, we can dive into a couple of different components. Where are the weak links? Uh, is this person's resting heart rate too high? Is their heart recovery bad? Is it simply a matter of pacing? Is it, um, you know, that they have muscular endurance issues that their, you know, their forearms or legs gas out? Is it their breathing's poor? Like, there are multiple components to each energy system. So we want to kind of dig in there and again, kind of figure out where are the weakest links in the chain and what, what can we improve the fastest to have the biggest impact. So it's just kind of like unraveling an onion. You, you want to figure out what, where the different layers are at and what's the easiest to target to have the biggest impact on their fitness. So for the most part, you know, when we talk about endurance and which is what a lot of people think of in terms of conditioning, you know, the aerobic system is going to drive the majority of that. So if we look at the broad picture, your anaerobic systems are designed for explosive strength, explosive power, and everyone sees that action. But it's the aerobic system that's allowing you to carry those explosive actions over time without significant fatigue. And so, you know, you look at both ends, but a lot of times if endurance is the biggest limiting factor, the aerobic side is where you're going to start. And where you start within that system, again, kind of depends on a, a deeper level of evaluation, seeing what they're, what they're capable of, what they're not. So when, when you're in that situation, and let's take the aerobic system in this case, um, you've got an athlete in front of you. What are you doing then to work out where that, that weak link within the aerobic system is? Well, you do a few things. Like I said, the, the place to start for just general aerobic fitness and general aerobic capacity is, you know, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, and heart rate recovery. Um, those are the really kind of the three physiological markers we can look at. Um, and then you can look at, depending on the sport, you know, it may or may not be applicable, but like the, the old 12-minute run Cooper's test is also a reasonable gauge of just overall general fitness and HRV, or sorry, VO2 um, max. And so I'll start there because those are the basic physiological qualities. And then we can start looking at the muscular endurance side. So you can look at, ideally, you do look at their sport and you see where they fatigue in their sport. Are there specific movement patterns? Are there specific positions? Are there specific muscle groups? You know, have them, have them train and ask them. Where do you feel the most fatigue? Oh, my forearms are burned out, or I feel really feel it in my legs or my low back. I mean, their, their actions will tell you which muscle groups are fatiguing the most, which means those muscle groups are lacking the muscular endurance. They're, they're the missing link or the weak link there in that chain. Then we'll also put heart rate monitors on them, um, and I'll have them, you know, depending on the sport, like you, ideally you want to have someone go through a sport practice wearing a heart rate monitor. You can look at which parts of the practice are causing the most fatigue. If they're against certain movements or certain uh, skills that are extremely fatiguing to them, there's probably something in those patterns that they're, they're lacking endurance in. So um, you just kind of look at the broad picture, like starting with the, the basic markers of rest and heart rate, HRV, uh, heart rate recovery, that kind of stuff. And then you drill into the more specifics by ideally, like I said, getting some sport specific data and seeing where those muscular fatigue groups are coming from. If they're basically uh, you know, not telling you where it is. You can usually just watch them train and see where they get the most fatigued, and you can see what they're doing during those times. And usually, it's not too difficult to kind of figure out where the where the weak links are. And I always start with the resting heart rate and kind of general cardiovascular system. If that's not there, if that's there and they're still fatiguing, then it's definitely a muscular issue. So you just kind of look look at the whole picture and, and make decisions as a coach about where you think the, the biggest gains can be made. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market developed by the team at Gymware. 
Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. Absolutely brilliant. So when you've when you've got that right, you've got your situation where let's say you've identified the uh, aerobic system is an uh, is an issue, um, and you've gone to step one, and their heart rate recovery is uh, insufficient or poor. Um, how do you then go about programming? So like the the sets, reps, uh, time in the un, in a in an exercise, etc. Um, how do you then go about programming to make sure that you can then start to improve that? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's going to, of course, depend on the athlete, but the aerobic system needs a fair amount of frequency, uh, and we know that's a bit different than the anaerobic systems. You can you can train strength a couple of days a week, you know, and for the most part, at least maintain or, or not uh, lose significant amounts of strength or power, but the aerobic system needs frequency, right? They need, you need four to five, six days a week, depending on what level of athlete you're talking about, for the aerobic system to improve. So that's first and foremost, is we have to have that consistency in their training in order to see it develop. At the same point in time, you know, it's, it's physically and energetically demanding to train these energy systems. And so I generally will try to prioritize, you know, one quality over the other. So conditioning will be the priority. Strength will be the maintenance factor. So uh, that, uh, this walking through my thought processes of how I build this program. The second thing I'm going to look at, what are, what are their skill sessions? You know, if this is an athlete who's training four days a week already in their sport, that's a big consideration versus somebody who's in a complete offseason, has no training, has nothing to do but strength conditioning. Those are very different approaches to what I'm going to do with them. So first, like I said, what are they doing in their sport? If the answer is, well, they're training three days a week, then I'm going to look at what are they doing in their sport? What is it they're potentially lacking in that sport training that's not developing the aerobic system? And then I'm going to develop uh, you know, a plan working around that. If they're not training their sport, then I'm going to build the entire plan around strength conditioning. Typically, um, I like to use basically what I call like a, a, you know, pyramid loading. And what I mean by that is I'll, I'll try to pair a high-intensity session with a lower-intensity session. And I try to go through these, these cycles they call stress, re- stress recovery cycles throughout the week. So, you know, a moderate intensity followed by a high intensity followed by a low intensity and repeat that. So uh, the high intensity sessions are obviously driving the heart rates up higher, which is actually more of um, the high level uh, part of the aerobic system, the VO2 max, the respiratory capacity, those sorts of things. And then we use lower intensity sessions to build some volume, build some uh, vascularization, um, cardiac capacity, just the lower intensity qualities. And we'll develop, you know, their plan throughout the week around those intensities and those loading models. So um, that's really the biggest thing is, is as you develop the aerobic system, there's been this emphasis, obviously, on a lot of high intensity. And I'm not saying that high intensity doesn't play a big role. It does. Uh, but you need a range of intensities. So there's there's benefits to lower intensities at high volumes. There's benefits to moderate intensities at moderate volumes. And there's benefits to high intensity at reasonable volumes. It's just a question of putting those together. And, and like I said, I tend to like to overload the body and then give it a chance to recover, and then repeat that twice a week. So it's just a matter of how I will piece those uh, those pieces uh, throughout the, the week. And then as far as the methods, you know, I have a range of methods that I've, that I've used and refined over the years that are really just different ways to attack the aerobic system depending on what the athlete needs. And, you know, and again, those, those methods range from lower-intensity things like tempo intervals to higher-intensity things like threshold method or you know, threshold training up to what I call cardiac power intervals, which is driving people at max heart rate. So... It's just about putting together the program piece by piece, depending on what the athlete needs, where they're at, and and what their schedule is given the time of year. 
I think that's, that's super interesting. It's really good to hear you put that into the context of, uh, of a working week. Um, could you then give us a, like a case study of, uh, of maybe how you used that in the past to, to really bring it to life? So uh, maybe just take a, you can make up the athlete, for example, but take, take an athlete that you might have worked with before um, and take us through a, a working week for them. Yeah, I can do that. So I'm kind of talk about a typical combat athlete because that's you know, the easiest examples to give. Combat athlete are interesting because they're always training their sport uh, to some extent, but the amount they're training that sport may vary. And whether or not they're just you know training to develop skill or they're training for a fight obviously has a big impact uh, on how things go. And then most of them uh, have work have, have other full time jobs, but of course the professionals their sport do not. So there's a, there's a ton of variables working working with that sort of athlete who may or may not have a full time job but is still competing. Um, or who's training their sport a relatively high amount, you know, close to year round. And so over the years, we developed essentially kind of a, a system of, of weekly organization with, with combat athletes, with, this, with the group I was working with. So uh, typically speaking, Monday would be what we'd call a, a stimulation. It's a moderate intensity day. So morning would generally be some low intensity tempo type intervals and some upper body uh, accessory work. And so, again, this is just a lower intensity morning session their evening session would be skill development so not again not at a super high intensity um, but just developing some some drills around whatever skills they are working on and one thing i'll point out here is if you are working with the skill coaches actually you really have to be aware of, of what their demands are in the, in the skill session if they're if they're going really high intensity then you want to take that into account if you're training them at a different point in time i always prioritize not impacting their skill sessions or having the minimal impact on their skill session. Because if they go into the skill session completely fatigued, their skill development's compromised, their injury risk may be higher. And then I haven't done a very good job with what I'm supposed to be doing. So anyway, we'd start with, that's our Monday schedule. It was a moderate uh, you know, moderate intensity from a skill or, or conditioning standpoint with some upper body work. And then we'd go do some moderate intensity skill work. And, and then Tuesday was our higher intensity day. So we would usually do some sort of higher intensity interval in the morning, um, could be some threshold runs, could be some cardiac power intervals, um, and then some just light recovery work after that, getting ready for their evening session, which was their actual sparring, which was their high intensity. And I know I just said we want to make sure that we can make sure they're able to do that work later. So the, the morning session was high intensity, but it was fairly short, uh, low volume. And again, the goal there was to make sure they had enough time to fully recover before they went into their sparring session in the evenings, which was their higher intensity skill session. So I know I uh, you know, again, the point of that was make sure they can go in and do that sparring. And then a lot of times people ask, well, why are you doing high intensity in your conditioning session while they're doing high intensity in their sparring in the evening? And the answer is because I want that Tuesday to be the high loading day. I don't want to spread high intensity on one day from conditioning and then one day from sport work and just alternate those because now I'm having four or five high intensity sessions. That's too many. So we put the high intensity development on both or on that Tuesday. So that morning session, like I said, could be a high-intensity cardiac power interval or some threshold runs or something like that. The Tuesday evening would be their high-intensity sparring. So now we've had a moderate-intensity Tuesday, uh, or sorry, uh, moderate-intensity Monday, high-intensity Tuesday. Wednesday would typically be recovery. And so Wednesday we would swim, um, light activity, uh, maybe some regeneration-type work, accessory work, blood flow, just being active and getting them recovered in the you know a, a Wednesday morning session for a light uh, easy recovery type skill session on Wednesday night. And those volumes would be significantly lower. So maybe 30, 45 minutes in the morning, uh, the skill session might be an hour, 90 minutes, which for a combat athlete is a fairly 
uh, low volume of skill work. And it's going to be light, lower intensity, just drill, 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 position, technique, watching video, reviewing film, you know, strategies, tactics. Uh, so Wednesday would be their, you know, quote unquote, uh, recovery or rebound day, like I call it. And then we'd sort of repeat that. Um, do, or we do a little bit differently. Thursday would be a very similar day to Monday. So again, more of a moderate intensity uh, aerobic conditioning and moderate intensity skill work. And then Friday, we would look at their recovery and kind of make a decision what we want to do on Friday. Sometimes Friday would be uh, an off day or sometimes Friday would be another skill day or strength and conditioning day, depending on you know how we saw their recovery. And that's really what we would build in their schedules. Friday was the the variable day. So sometimes if an athlete was getting ready for fight, we'd, we'd do more volume, a little more intensity. If they were not, uh, we and we saw they needed a little bit extra recovery, we'd throw a little bit more recovery work in there and keep the overall intensity lower. And then Saturday was their second high-intensity sparring day and second high-intensity conditioning day. And so we would uh, that would basically be more of a one session rather than two separate sessions, but we'd do some non-specific conditioning that'd be higher intensity, followed by their skill work um, a couple hours later. And then Sunday would be a regeneration day. So that's kind of a convoluted example because there's a lot of skill work and different variables in that. But the point is just to you know, make sure that the skill work and the conditioning work all make sense together and that they're coordinated in a way that you're not having high-intensity conditioning and that's non-specific on Tuesday and then skill work high-intensity on Wednesday and then back to non-specific high-intensity work on Thursday and repeating that over the course of the week. Because I've seen a lot of programs where unfortunately they they kind of treat the skill and the the non-specific conditioning i would say strength conditioning is a is a very separate thing but they have to be coordinated otherwise you just end up overloading the athletes on four five six days a week and we always tried you know in the majority of time not always but two days of what i'd call true high intensity work per week and the rest was lower intensity and moderate intensities and that's just what the athletes recovered well from and looking at data for a long time there's very few athletes who will recover from high-low training three days a week uh, over a period of time. I mean, you can do it for a short period of time, but you start really overloading athletes three days a week or four days a week, they're just going to break down, and they're, they're not going to progress, you know, if anything. So, you know, that's a broad look at it, but, you know, it depends on the athlete, obviously, and, and variables. But that was that was kind of our general schedule of how we approach it. I think that's a, a really interesting insight into to how you look at the – the week plan, but also the, the broader training process and how you then make your decisions, which is, uh, which is absolutely excellent. Um, I'm conscious of time, but I do want to ask you one question before we go. And that is what's the, what would you then give us an example of the really high intensity conditioning session, um, before a, uh, a high intensity sparring session or skill session? What, what kind of stuff are you looking at there in terms of, um, yeah, intensities and volumes? Sure. So, Again, this is all relative to the athlete. If you're working with a new athlete, I always start towards the low end. It's it's minimal dose, maximal effect. So generally speaking, I'm working with combat athletes in this example. I would do something that was low impact. So if a lot of the stuff, uh, we use the Versa Climber or a Jacob's Ladder or something that was less in, like less uh, physically, uh, I would say, um, stressful on the body than you know, running and sprinting. The not, to say, not to say running, running and sprinting are great, but if someone is going to do a high-intensity sparring session later, I would use something much more low impact. And so my preference, my preferred tool uh, in a lot of cases was, was the Versa Climber or like I said, a Jacob's Ladder, something where I could get the heart rate up very high, um, but I could control it and I wasn't putting a ton of distress on their joints and stress on their bodies. If, if I'm working with someone who's not a combat athlete and they're not training their sport, then running, sprinting, you know, those sorts of things are going to be much more on, in the on the table there. So um, there's a couple methods. The, the one I use most often is called cardiac power intervals. And like its name implies, 
I'm basically trying to develop those higher threshold muscle fibers in the heart itself. And so you have to get too close to maximum heart rate in that. So we do somewhere, you know, somewhere between a 60 to 90 seconds all out effort. And again, you're paying attention to heart rate. Your goal is to get them up to the heart rate um, and then keep it there for a relatively short period of time. And then biggest thing too, is after they've, they've achieved that, we're really focusing on their, their recovery in between those repetitions. So rather than just kind of sitting there, I, I want some sort of active recovery you know, typically for combat athlete, it could be some footwork or some shadow boxing, but you want athletes to stay active during those periods of active recovery because in their sport, you know, most of the time they are having to recover actively. If there's a sprinter in a soccer, you know, soccer sprint, uh, they don't just stop. They still have to be moving. So we'd go, you know, up to max heart rate, 60, 90 seconds. And then usually a period of active recovery could be anywhere from one minute, you know, on the short end, which is a very short one, more like two to three minutes of just, again, active moving around, shadow boxing, footwork, light body work, just moving around and again, promoting blood flow and activity that way and then having them consciously bringing the heart rate down as they're moving and then repeat that. And you don't have to do a lot of those, you know, two, three, you know, probably two in the super low end, uh, but more like four, three to four probably on average would be the conditioning uh, piece of that. So you're not talking a ton of volume, but you are driving their heart rate up to maximum and you're doing it in a way that's, you know, not putting a ton of stress on their body due to the nature of the exercise and again, you're also focused on the recovery element of that as much as you are the intensity. And so that's one of the other things I would talk, I, I pay a lot of attention to is how quickly can they drive their heart rate back down? And that's fitness and it's, it's psychologically focusing on that, developing the skill set to be able to recover, you know, is a, is a skill as much as a fitness quality. And, you know, you repeat that three, four times. And again, it doesn't sound like much, but you, you know, good max heart rate three or four times. It's really only, you know, five, six minutes of total work. Uh, but it has a physiological effect that we want. And again, because it was a low impact exercise, it was not going to beat their joints up and make them uh, sore or be likely to injure themselves before they went and sparred. So typically that's, it would be something like that. You know, I'm not, that would be the entire workout, but that'd be the core of the conditioning part of it. And then we'd usually have three to four hours of rest before they'd go and do their, their MMA conditioning and, and uh, their MMA sparring, I should say, and, uh, you know, work, work really well. Absolutely brilliant. So, Joe, uh, the one thing that I want to ask you before we leave is what is the one thing that you see or do differently, which the rest of the world can learn from? You know, I think the biggest thing I've really tried to um, focus on, and I think we need more focus on, is, is the 23 hours outside the gym um, and understanding how well the athlete sleeps, uh, how mentally stressed out or how they deal with stress, uh, what their nutrition's like, you know, all of the things that happen outside the gym need to play a very strong role in what you're doing with the athletes inside the gym. And you can't treat people like a black box where they leave the session and then they come back the next day and you forget about what happened in between. And those things really matter in terms of what their recovery is, what their work capacities are, how quickly they're going to adapt, what their injury risks are, all those sorts of things. So we have to stop thinking of coaching as, as purely uh, X's and O's or purely sets and reps and exercises. We have to think of coaching as, the totality of, of what the athlete needs based on 24 hours in the day uh, rather than what we had planned for that one hour in the day. And the more I've done that, you know, both through talking to the athlete, understanding the athlete's lifestyle, and then using data to, to get some hard objective numbers um, to use, the more I've, I've looked at coaching as a 24-hour picture rather than a, you know, a one-hour window of workouts, the better results I've achieved because I've been able to build programs that are specific to the athlete and and specific to their abilities on that given day and i think the best coaches i've worked with over the years do that inherently um and it's something that just more and more people need to recognize is a big important part of piece of coaching is is, is not just the workout but everything else as well 
Absolutely brilliant. I absolutely love it. So, Joel, massive thanks for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking. Yeah, great. Thanks. It's been uh, great talking to you and, and hope to come back someday. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Joel for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our seven-day free trial of the Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a fantastic resource full of loads of lectures of around two hours, which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've not already, you can get your free trial using the link in the show notes. And in there, you'll be able to find loads of different topics around sports science and strength and conditioning, including more information on conditioning. So... If you've enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to click that link in the show notes in just a few seconds time and take your free trial for seven days and get even more information on conditioning. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to also hit the subscribe button. That means that you won't miss out on next week's fantastic episode. So that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week.